You know, I believe with all my heart, tonight we're going to start a brand new series of teaching, and I'm so excited about this that we're going to do this teaching on who is Jesus. I was thinking earlier today as I was preparing a couple things, and we're going to get right into the Word. I don't have a clock back there, Chad, so you're going to have to help me. Uh, that, uh, uh, you, you know, part of this is... A couple a year or so ago, I began to pray, and I was asking the Lord to give us a strategy for this house. And I believe when we had a, a year, I think it was a year ago, maybe over a year, maybe two years ago, when we started the year out with our apostolic council with Pastor Val and Steve Sampson and, and Mitch Clay, and I think God spoke, I've got to go back and look at my notes. I know one of them did, maybe all three of them, spoke about God was going to give us a strategy. And we've been praying and asking God for a strategy of what he wanted for this house. I believe what we're doing right now is a part of the strategy of God for us and to gain the harvest that is coming in. And, and so I want you to know that. I'm, I, I am convinced God is moving. Whether you are or not, I'm convinced of it, that we are fulfilling his purpose. As I was preparing, I, something stirred my heart that I want to give a challenge to you for the next 30 days. Every time you turn on the TV, they'll give you a 30-day challenge. I want to give you a challenge for the next 30 days. And this is the challenge. I want you every day to begin to pray, God, I want revival in me. Notice how I said that. I want revival in me. Whether it's in this church or not, I want it in me. Whether it's in our state or not, I want it in me. I believe if you and I will do that, you and I may be greatly surprised what will happen to our lives and to this church. So how many of you, I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm already asking that. How many of you will pray with me every day you pray, God, I want revival in me. Now, I know some of you think you already got it, but you could do some more. All right? You ain't got it all. We all could get some more. And here's one other thing I want to add. I talked to him. I was on the phone today with a pastor out of a great church out of Dallas today, and we were chatting, and he was talking about how their church functions and such as that. And one of the things that he talked about was agreement. One of the things they're huge on is that they walk in agreement. And sometimes we all think that agreement is us, you know, seeing exactly the same thing and everything coming, you know, exactly alike. That's not necessarily completely true. But he said, this is what we do. If we reach a place of a, that we can't agree on something, he said, we just take it back and we pray over it. And we come back and he said, the first thing that we do, he said, we look into ourselves. Why is it that I can't agree with that? Why can't I agree with what they're doing? And if there's a problem that I still can't come, he said, we'll come back together as leaders and such as that, and we'll talk it out. He said, sometimes it gets intense. But he said, we've learned to do something. He said, if we continue to pray and can't come to that place, he said, we come to a place that we're willing to lay down our opinion." and even our idea, and we trust leadership and what God is doing. 
or what, what leadership is speaking or the other leaders. And I'm asking you, I'm asking us to get into a place because we've all got opinions. Is God moving? Is he not moving? Is revival here? Is it coming? Where is it at? What it ought to look like? I'm just asking us because we're together is that you and I come into this place. I'm going to be determined to have agreement in this place because that's where God said in Psalms 133, his blessing is. So I'm just encouraging you to do that over the next 30 days. I'm challenging you with everything that I've got in me. I'm challenging you. And I'm believing for the greatest, greatest days that we've ever had. I believe they're here and they're in front of us. Now, I've got to get into the Word because I want to go too many different directions. I want you to go with me tonight to the book of Matthew, chapter 16, to some very familiar passages of Scripture. Our series is on who is Jesus. And I've come to find out Jesus can be many things to many people. But I want you to follow with me because what we're going to bring to you, I believe, is an absolute must that you need to know and have an understanding of. Matthew 16, starting at verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But he said unto them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against you, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth in Whatever you bind will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. I want to talk to you for a few moments. I want to speak to us and tell you who Jesus is. We're going to talk tonight about Jesus the Christ. Everybody say the Christ. Now, I've got news. Most of you know this that are in here. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is it's not his last name, but you'd be surprised that there's people that do think that. That's what they've been taught. That's what they believe. Many of us see Jesus through a different lens. It's interesting to me the question Jesus asked was this. Who do men say that I am? And, of course, Peter spoke up. They said, or one of them said, "Thou art." Uh, they think you're John the Baptist. Somebody said, you're prophet Elijah. Somebody said, you're Jeremiah the prophet. Or, or you're one of the other prophets. And I, I look at that and think, well, why in the world did they say that? What were they looking at to see that? They're looking through a different lens. If I ask tonight what, who Jesus is to you, uh, you, I could come up with all kinds of different answers, and they would probably all be right. Um, I, I done this yesterday. I was at the uh, 
because I've been studying this, so I took this into the nursing home with me yesterday, part of it. And uh, I asked them because I got a group of people I don't know. Okay, how many of you in the room are Baptists? I'm not asking you, I was asking them. How many are Baptists in the room? Of course, I had a number of people go up. How many of you are Catholic? Number went up. How many of you are Methodist? Number. How many Presbyterian? How many Episcopals? How many Lutherans? How many Pentecostals? Just one and maybe one other was in the room. That's me. And then I asked this great question, who do, you, who do you say Jesus is? This one little lady spoke up. She's a little Baptist lady. And she said, he's everything. I said, you're right. He is everything. But what does everything mean to you? You see, according to the lens of how I was brought up, because I believe there's several different ways I've come to learn about who Jesus is. One of them, I believe, how I have been taught all of my life. Believe it or not, I've come up Pentecostal all of my life. This is all I've ever known. I've been taught that he's savior. I've been taught he's healer. I've been taught he's baptizer. I've been taught he's deliverer. I've been taught that. Many others have been taught that, but some of them have been taught that all of that stopped with the apostles or the day that the apostles were over. So they, they bought into that. So they believed that all of their life. So what do they look through? They look through the lens of how they've been taught. May I say... We see Jesus through the lens of who we are following. Because if you don't have people that are teaching you properly or teaching you about the fullness of Jesus, you're limited. You're limited to that lens. Several of us have glasses on in this place tonight. And if I gave you mine and took yours, I might not see well through yours. No more than you would see what see well through mine because mine have been fitted for me. See, I believe we come to know who Jesus is by how we've been taught. The main way we need to come to know who Jesus is is through this book we call the B-I-B-L-E. Because through the book, the Bible says, he said, lo, I come in the volume of the book. Do you realize, oh, Roberts used to say it like this. He used to teach. It's Jesus in every chapter of the book. Every chapter. Do you ever try to go through the, go through the Bible and find Jesus in Old Testament as much as you find him in the New Testament? You might be surprised how much Jesus is revealed because it is about him. Everything, even the tabernacle. I know Charlie's a big studier of, of the tabernacle. The reality of the tabernacle is a revelation of Jesus. If you and I really looked at it for what it really is. But sometimes we're not taught that. It's, we just taught that it's a Hebrew custom. So I can learn through, through this right here. Some of us have learned Jesus by experience. We've got an experience of Jesus. If you've been healed, if you've been healed, I want to tell you, if you've been touched by the power of Jesus and you've been healed, somebody could come and tell you all day long, I don't believe Jesus heals. Well, wait a minute. All I can tell you is I don't know how it happened. I just know I prayed. I asked Jesus to touch me and Jesus healed me. That man can tell me all day long. I know when I was a little boy, Jesus healed my feet. I know that. 
I, as a little boy, I was allergic to the grass. I couldn't walk barefooted in the grass in the morning dew. It would irritate my feet. In one year, they were so bad that I'm walking to school. My feet are swelling. I've, it, I've scratched them until they're bleeding. Junk is pouring out of them. My socks are, you know, have matted to my, to my skin in a sense. And I walked to school for a few blocks. And I remember getting home. And, and I, as soon as I hit the door, my feet hurt so bad that I got on my knees and I crawled to the bathroom. If I could just get to the bathroom, get these socks off my feet. But I didn't want to tell my mom and dad how bad they were. Because when I looked at them, they looked like they were ready to be chopped off. Because I thought if they take me to the doctor, the doctor's going to remove my feet. That's what I was thinking as a little boy. But I remember in that bathroom, I said, Jesus, I know you can heal me. I want you to heal my feet. And I managed to keep myself distant somehow as much as I could that evening from mom and dad. And the next morning I got up, Jesus had healed my feet. And I'm telling you, I hadn't had a problem like that since. Now, nobody can tell me different. Because I had an encounter, I had an experience with Jesus. But who is he to you? Jesus asked the question, who does men say that I am? Why did they ask, why did somebody say you're John the Baptist? Was they saying, I mean, it could come out in different ways. Were they saying it because John the Baptist was the forerunner? He was the one pointing the way. But John's main message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is coming. Oh, maybe you're, maybe you're the, you're the one that, that, that's going to bring salvation. Why did they say you're Elijah the prophet? Isn't it interesting that, that Elijah was one of them that Jesus met with on the Mount of Transfiguration? Why did they say it's Elijah? You're Elijah. That's who you are. Well, when you think about Elijah, I think about somebody calling fire down out of heaven and bringing judgment on the prophets of Baal. Maybe that's who you are. When you're talking about Jeremiah, all of these prophets pointed to Jesus. Every one of them did. But maybe, maybe you're Jeremiah. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. When you walk through the book of Jeremiah, there was a lot about the judgment of the Lord. Maybe you're the God of judgment. Maybe that's who you really are. And he said, maybe you're one of the other prophets. Who knows why they reflected the way they did? Matter of fact, Jesus goes to Nazareth. He's wanting to do miracles among the people. They couldn't receive because this is how they saw him. Hey, aren't you Joseph's son? Aren't you Joseph's son? Aren't you a carpenter's boy? And the Bible said that Jesus could do very few miracles there because, because, they couldn't see him for who he really was. So the question is tonight, who is Jesus? And he asked Peter, he said, Peter, I want to know from you. Simon Barjona, who do you say I am? And he said, thou art the Christ. And Jesus looks at him and he said, you're blessed. And he calls him blessed Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. The blessing comes from knowing who Jesus really is.
And it was important that we know and that Peter knew and also all of those Jews of that day to know that he was and is the Christ. And the word Christ means the anointed one. See, I want to remind you again that you can go your whole life and really not know who Jesus really is and be in church your whole life. Look at a passage of scripture with me in the book of Acts, chapter 18, verse 24. I've got to stay close to my notes, and I'm trying to be a teacher, not a preacher, and I don't know if it's going to work or not. Matthew, or, or Acts, chapter 18, verse 24, it says, Now there was a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria. Notice this. An eloquent man, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. Now follow this, look at this next part. Though he knew only the baptism of John. Grew up all of his life. I grew up, I should say, very eloquent. Man, he was passionate. He was preaching with, but he only knew in part. He only knew from the, he, from the writings or from the instructions of John. So look at the next verse. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now they said, we're going to tell you some things you don't know. They weren't condemning him for what he was speaking. They were just saying, wait a minute, you haven't got it all. You remember who was it? I don't know if it was Peter or Paul. They come to one, one city. They're full of the Holy Ghost, and they're teaching everybody about the things of God. And, and they come to this one city and said, hey, have you guys been filled with the Holy Ghost? And this is their response. We didn't know there was such a thing. And you can go your whole life, sit in the church, go through, love God. You can be passionate about your worship, be passionate about who you are, but still come up short of who Jesus really is. But the more you know who Jesus is, the more blessing I believe is, is, is given to us and the more that we can walk into the great things that God has designed for us. He said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Oh, why did he say that? Who's Simon Bar-Jonah? The word Simon means hearing. And the word Bar-Jonah means the son of Jonah. And it's interesting that chapter 16 of Matthew starts out with the Pharisees and Sadducees asking for a sign from heaven. Show us who you really are. Give us something. He talked to them about the weather and such as that. In verse 4, he said, A wicked and generous, a, a, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah, and he left them and departed. Maybe he was reflecting something about that moment, that, that moment of Jonah. He said, wait a minute, you're of the very nature. You're going to be of the very nature of Jonah. Jonah had a walk with God. Y'all remember that God called him to go to Nineveh, but he was refusing to go to Nineveh. So what did God do? He had a fish swallow him until he turned his mind around, and then he started doing the things of God. He looks at Peter, and then he said, Peter, because of this revelation, I'm changing your name because this is the foundation 
foundation of what I'm going to build my church on. It's going to be built right here. This is the revelation. This is where my authority is going to come from. That I'm going to give you that whatever you bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth is going to be loosed in heaven. By what you know and who you think I are, who you know that I am, that I am the Christ. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, so let me back up just for a moment because they're at a place called Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi was a, was a city at the base of, of Mount Hermon. It spoke of in the book of spoke of in the book of Psalms 133 that the dew and everything would come down that mountain. And this city here was, was very evidently very populated, but it was had become a very pagan area. And as they come into this city, as they come into this coast or they come into this place called Caesarea Philippi in the mountain or on the cliffs that would surround this community or surround this city, we'll call it a city, that would surround it would be the carvings and the images of idols that they worshiped. I think I read in one place there were like 14 different idols, 14 different uh, altars that had been established and their images were all over these rocks as they go through. And I guess they are still there today if you would go and visit that part of the country. Matter of fact, there is a cave there of which the water would come off of that mountain and would fill it and it would flow to the Jordan that they say would be a bottomless pit that is called the gates of hell. That is where they would say that in certain seasons and times, these spirits and gods would go and they would, they would secure themselves in this bottomless pit called the gates of hell. So when Jesus is talking about the gates of hell, he's talking about the spirits that find their domination or find their place, what they call their place of abode. So here they're looking at this. He's in the moment of an illustrated sermon. Jesus was the master illustrator. And so they're walking through and they see these idols. Matter of fact, they had built one major temple to the God Pan. I think that was his name, which is the God of, the, of nature is the God of nature, and they had built this incredible temple where people would go and worship. And even some of the unrighteous kings of Israel had gone there and offered major sacrifice at this very place. And not only was it just a place to worship the gods of nature, there were very perverse things that went on through the sacrifices at this place called Caesarea Philippi. And it's in this very place that Jesus said in the face of these idols, in the face of these gods, he said, I want to know who, who men say that I am. And that's where he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, yes, now you're going to be Peter. I'm going to establish a new foundation. And notice what he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. 
What was he saying? We think church, we think of this right here. But the reality was he's saying, I'm going to build my temple. I'm going to build my dwelling place. But you and I have to understand something. He really wasn't talking about something made with the hands of men. He was talking about the the temple that would be made by the hands of God. Who Paul said in the book of Corinthians, we are, we are the temple of God. And he said, the gates of hell, the demons of this world will not stand against my temple. So who is he? He's the Christ. The word Christ means the anointed one. The word Christ is found in the New Testament 571 times. And it's interpreted the anointed one. If you'd go back into the Old Testament in the Greek form or the Hebrew form of it, it would be the word Messiah. Same word found in Hebrew. And its definition is found 39 times in the Old Testament and 37 out of the 39 times in the Old Testament, it is translated the anointed. So God is saying, I am the anointed. I am the Christ, the anointed one. Just for your sake, I don't have time and I don't even know where I'm at. Man, it's going fast. Acts chapter 17 and verse 2. For you that are taking notes, read it when you get home. Then Paul, as his custom was, when he went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, verse 3, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ, the anointed one. In the book of Acts chapter 18 and verse five, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ the anointed one. Acts chapter 18 and verse 28. For he vigorously, talking, I just read part of that while ago uh, about who was that in, in Acts chapter 18. Just slipped it, my, my, uh, the, his name just slips my mind. Got to look at it real quick so I can say it right. So give me a moment. I'm going there. Are you okay? All right. Hope you're receiving something. Acts chapter 18 and verse 28, it was, it was Apollos that, that went and began to preach. And then it says, after, after Aquila and Priscilla had taught him what he desired to cross to Acacia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly of the things they had been taught, showing from the scriptures now that Jesus is the Christ. So when he was the Christ, what does that mean to you and I? What does that mean that he's the anointed one? God gave command in the Old Testament that three different groups of people would be anointed. Only three groups. The first one would be the prophets. The second one would be the priest. The third one would be the kings. Each of each one of these is a foreshadowing 
of the function that the Messiah would fulfill. So therefore, Jesus becomes not just our Savior, but he is our prophet, he is our priest, and he is our king. Let me prove that those three things. In the book of Exodus chapter 30 and verse 30, we can't put them up there, so you're going to have to take notes and look at it when you get home. God gave command to Moses. He said, take your, take your brother Aaron, and you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may be ministers to me as priests. We need to understand the role of priesthood. You're going to understand that in a minute. But that's why we need to understand. 1 Kings 19, verse 16. You remember when Elijah caught fire down out of heaven? Jezebel gives, you know, gives a word. If he's alive by this time tomorrow, and Elijah runs to the cave, and God speaks to him and said, what are you doing here? Man, Brother Donald Sims preached a great message using that just a few weeks ago. So when he's there and he's refusing to go where God tells him in a sense, he said, also, he said, I want you to go now and you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of a big long name, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. That's 1 Kings 19 and verse 6. In Deuteronomy chapter 18 Verse 18, this is a cool verse. Matter of fact, turn in your Bible. Let's look at that. Let's look at that together. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Man, no wonder Jesus is speaking to us about making him the center of everything. Because you and I need to grab a hold of this to live victorious. Numbers, or Deuteronomy chapter 18. And let's look at verse 15. I'll start reading there. God speaking through Moses to the children of Israel. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. Notice this, it's a capital P. Like me. Boy, I like that part. Notice what he said. I'm going to raise you up a prophet like me. He's going to be of my nature. He's going to be of my, my being, my person. From your midst, from your brethren, him, capital H, not just because it's the start of a sentence, him shall you hear. According to your desire of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of assembling, saying, you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord God, and nor let me see his great fire any moment, anymore, lest I die. You remember when they got to Sinai? And God calls Moses to come. The mountain was on, was on fire on top. There were great clouds and there was thunder and there was lightning and the mountain shook in a sense. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. And the people said to Moses, Moses, you go up. You go up in here for us. You go up and bring us a word because if we go up in here, we're going to die and we don't want to die. God said, that's a good thing. You don't want you to die, but I'm going to raise you up a prophet that's going to speak for me. And you're not going to die, but you're going to live. And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. So I will raise up for them a prophet. Again, another capital P, like you from among their brethren. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So why is it important? 
Why is it important that I understand that Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, my prophet, my priest, and my king is so important? So I want to give you three things real quickly. I want to talk about the prophet. I want to talk about the priest. I don't want to talk about the king. Here's the reason why. Why does it mean he is my prophet? Because Jesus fulfills all three of those in our lives. So that, here's the first one. Why is he my prophet? So I can hear from God. So that you can hear from God. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 34 says, No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. It was the prophet's responsibility to tell the people what God is saying. It was the prophet's responsibility for them to speak the will and the purpose of God. But because Jesus became our high priest, now don't anybody throw a stone at me yet. I'll get it all balanced out. You and I don't need somebody to teach us because God can speak to you just as close as anybody else, if not greater. You can hear from God. Notice what he said in here, from the least to the greatest. Because this prophet has forgiven us. He has, he has, he has forgiven us of our in iniquity and he's no longer remembering our sin. Therefore, you and I can hear from God. There's not an excuse for anybody in this place when you know who he is. I can hear from God. Now I'm going to blow your mind in for a moment. We really don't have a hearing problem. We really don't have a hearing problem. What we do have is a recognition problem. Hello, if I don't recognize him as my prophet, if I don't recognize him for who he is, I'm going to struggle in knowing what the will of God is for my life. In John chapter 10 and verse 27, Jesus speaking to, his, to those that were with him, the disciples and all those Jews, he said, I'm the good shepherd and I know my sheep and my sheep know me and my sheep hear my voice and a stranger they will not follow because they recognize the shepherd. They recognize the prophet. See, sometimes we think, man, I'm having a hard time to hear. Maybe it's maybe we're not having a hard time hearing. Maybe we don't need to clean our ears out. Maybe we just need to recognize our shepherd because I'm looking for Pastor Val, the prophet, to speak to me instead of God. And I believe, well, Pastor, what about these prophets like Pastor Val and other people that prophesy? Didn't God give us the fivefold ministry? Didn't Jesus, when he, when he ascended into heaven, did he not leave to the church? He gave gifts unto men, the, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and pastors and teachers. Yes! But I believe God's voice is greater than their voice. And their responsibility, remember, this is an infant church. And so what he's doing through these apostles is keeping us in line. And they're helping us understand, yes, you heard from God. 
That's real. They shouldn't be bringing us really any new information. They should be confirming what we're already knowing and hearing from the Lord. Come on, we're going to another level. Man, we just need, Pastor, I want you to tell me what I'm supposed to do. You already know if you'll get before God. He'll speak to you what you ought to do. And then if, I, if I'm struggling, we get to, that's why we get together and we talk. And I do that with other leaders. Get together and talk. Why? So that I can make sure that what I'm doing, what I'm feeling, what I feel like God is saying to me is in line with, with, with God. He's my prophet. Thou art the Christ, the prophet of God. He's the one that I can hear from. And I, church, I, I, I believe this with all my heart. He wants to speak to every one of us in this room. And I'm going to go back to that verse in, in chapter, Jeremiah 31, 34. He said, from the least to the greatest. I want to tell you, I, I, and I hope you don't mind me using you, Pastor Val, but it's a, I think we would all agree he's a prophetic voice to this house. God doesn't want to give him information any greater, any more than he wants to give the same information to you. Hello? Because God is our prophet. That's right, Peter. You're right. This is what I'm going to build my church upon. This is where my temple is, is in the ability to hear my voice. But you got to understand, we've got to know that he is our prophet and God is speaking. Now, why is he my priest? How is he my priest? Remember, he's prophet, priest, and he's king. In the Old Testament, if you went there, the only one that was able to approach and really talk to God, well, think about this for a moment, was the priest. The only one that was allowed to go up into that mountain to visit God or talk with God the first time was Moses. And then when, when God has ordered the priesthood, the only one, he said, bring Aaron. Meet me at the door. Everybody else had to stay back because the only way I could talk with God, I can hear from God through the prophet, but now the priest allows me to be able to approach God and talk to him. Think about this. Israel could not go in to that place called the Holy of Holies, nor could the priest except for once a year. The high priest would go in, and it was such a fearful and frightening thing that they would tie a rope around him. When he would go in behind that veil that was kind of like this thick, when he would walk in behind that veil and go into that place called the Holy of Holies, and he would approach and go in there once a year, bringing the blood of sacrifices on behalf of the sins of the nation, and he would offer it, correct me guys if I'm wrong, he would offer it upon the, upon the altar there for the sins of the nation once a year. But every day, sacrifices were made. Israel was required. Every day, they were making sacrifice at the temple. But only once a year did that priest go in and approach God on behalf of the nation. It was because of his blood 
because of what Jesus did for us as our high priest, that we can go boldly now into the presence of God and I can talk and I can communicate with God and I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to have a rope put around my waist. I don't have to have somebody stepping by. I sure hope pastor's going in pure because I don't want to come in and find him dead or totally. The Bible tells us, look at Hebrews chapter 7. In verse 27, it's talking about Jesus and it's talking about the priest of that day. Let's start looking at verse, uh, let's, let, let's back up and look. Oh, let's see. Mm. Let's look at verse 23. It says, also there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he has always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices for first for first for his own sins and then for the people. For this he did, man, you need to mark this in your Bible. For this he did once and for all when he offered up himself. So you and I need to understand that Jesus has paid for our sins absolutely once and for all, every sin. And that's why it's so important that you and I understand that because if we're not, if we don't know that he is our faithful high priest, this is what we'll do. We'll live doing penance and we'll, do, we'll strive and we'll labor trying to please God so that I can talk to him and get him to bless me. I think, I, I think sometimes we do that and don't even realize we're doing it. Well, if we just come in and prayed more. I'm not saying we don't need to pray, but prayer can become works. I, I think we need to come to church more. I believe we ought to be in church, but if I'm not careful, church can become works. I, I think we ought to give more. I believe we ought to give more, but giving can become works. If I'm not understanding it through the priesthood of Jesus, of what Jesus has already done for me. The Bible tells me in the book of Hebrews chapter, chapter 9 and verse 11, but Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, talking about us, come on church, that that was not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of bulls, uh, of the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered into the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. That's why the Bible tells me, I believe it is in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us come boldly. I don't have to be afraid. Well, pastor, I, I, I just, you know, you don't know what happened. You don't know what came out of my mouth today. I'm not giving you a license to sin. 
But I'm telling you because it came out of your mouth today doesn't stop the fact that Jesus wants you to come boldly to his throne and talk to him. See, if I don't know that he's taking care of it once and for all. So I tell you what I better do. I better fast for three days. I better read the entire New Testament. I, I better bring a special offering. If I go in, what I've done, I've entered into works instead of coming and making those things my worship. They're my works to get God's approval when God has approved me through the work and the blood of Jesus, the anointed one. So I can talk to God. Let us come boldly. It says in the book of Hebrews chapter 4. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace in our time of need. I'm talking about Jesus the Christ. The anointed. The anointed one. Man, I tell I, this is speaking to me. If I could grab hold of this and I'm telling you, our lives will be totally different. It would be totally different. Here's the third thing. So he's my prophet. He's my priest. Because he died once and for all and rose victorious, he's my king. So what does it mean that he's my king? This is what it means. I can walk victoriously with him. I can hear from him. I can talk with him, and now I can walk victoriously with him. The one who saved me is the king. Death didn't beat him. No demon in hell beat him. Every foe, Jesus publicly, openly destroyed every assignment. He Listen. When we walk through this thing of knowing who Jesus is, you have to understand something. We look at that, we look at that passion that Jesus went through, that beating, that scourging. I still I can't watch that movie, The Passion of the Christ. I, I can't deal with that. It's too bloody. It's too, too much for me. I, I'm messed up when I see it. But you have to understand something. If I remember right, he said, I gave my back. I gave them my cheeks. I gave them my head. I gave them my hands. I gave them my feet. They nobody take this from me. When Peter tried to protect him there at the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane, when they came and brought the, uh, you know, were coming to get him, Peter drew a sword and one of the soldiers, and he took a, a wild swing and cut an ear off. Jesus, put that up, Peter. Jesus reaches down, picks up the ear, puts it back on the man's head. And then he looks at Peter and said, don't you know that I could call legions of angels to come and take me out of this right now? You and I better hear that. He is a victorious king. I just read through the book of Kings. I've had a struggle getting through the book of Kings. I'll be honest. That's a tough book to get through. Because you know what it's about? It's about the rulers, one kingdom, all constantly at fight and a battle against another kingdom. And it's about these kings that rise up and they do evil and then they fall. God sends an army and overtakes them. All through the book of Kings, it's kind of that way. I'm glad I'm out of it in Chronicles now. And probably we'll read some of the same stories again. 
But you have to understand something. He is the king of all kings. Look with me in the book of Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17. And uh, around the 13th verse. Man, man, I tell you what, I'm, I'm glad I got some of you Bible scholars in here because when I read through the book of Revelation, there's things that make my head swim. I, I'm being very serious, but I continue to read to say, God, give me understanding of what is going on. And he writes about this, this, the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her. And in verse 8, he says, The beast that you saw was and is not will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life for the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Isn't that crazy how, how he writes? There also are seven kings. These are thrones. These are, these are rulers. There are seven kings. Five have fallen. One is and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is, him, is himself is also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. Then ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as of yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. And these are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. And these will make war with the lamb, the capital L, Jesus. These will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them. And he is the Lord of lords. You need to mark this in your Bible. And he is the Lord of lords. The word Lord in one place means master ruler. He is the Lord of all that say they're the master ruler. And he is the king of all kings. He is the supreme deity and authority. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. He is the king of all kings. They made war and the lamb overcame them. And because he is the king of all kings, you and I can walk victoriously through this earth. Now let's settle something right here, right now. Every one of us in this room, Satan is not an equal counterpart with Jesus. He is not an equal with Jesus. He may be given the title, the prince of darkness, but he is not the equal with Jesus. He is a created being. He was created from the very beginning, created by the hand of God. His name, if he's going to be a counter and equal to somebody, he will be an equal to either Michael or Gabriel, but he will not be an equal to Jesus. Lucifer is a fallen angel. Jesus is king. Jesus is the creator and Satan is a created being. Satan is the prince of darkness, but Jesus is the king of light and he is the king of all kings and he is the king of all princesses. So if there is a prince, which a prince simply means he is a ruler, but he is subject to a king. So if, the, if Satan is the prince of darkness, he is subject to the king of light. 
Come on, church, you and I better grab hold of who Jesus really is. He's the anointed king. Therefore, I can walk victorious. If there is a prince of lust, if there's a prince of fear, anger, pride, addiction, you name it, you can defeat every prince now because you and I know the king of all kings and we walk with him and we are walking as citizens of his kingdom. And here's great news for us to hang on. We are now identified as the sons and daughters of the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. Peter, who do you say I am? Thou art the Christ. You're my prophet. You're my priest. And you're my king. You and I can walk victorious when we know who Jesus is. And again, he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. I want to tell you, the more that you and I can get in the Word and understand, the more that we can walk in His fullness. And I am convinced the more that sickness, disease, poverty, lack, uh, addiction, lust, uh, whatever would be thrown at us through the enemy, you and I have victory. We have already been given victory over that. It's just us recognizing where it all comes from and knowing who we really are in him. You know, there was one little story in the Old Testament of the kings that y'all remember King Saul that had a son by the name of Jonathan. I'm closing down and getting this out right here. And Jonathan and David had passion for each other. They were, they were brothers. And they made a covenant with one another, right? But Saul despised David. And you know the story over time, Saul is killed and so was Jonathan. And David's heart grieved because of his heart that he had for Jonathan. And Jonathan had a son by the name of Mephibosheth. He had a son. And you got to keep in mind something in this picture. That when David had really begun to strike back war against against all that belonged, because God really gave him a command, wipe out everything that belongs to Saul. Don't leave anything. If the only thing left was one son, and it was Mephibosheth. And one day in the book of 2 Samuel, let me see, it's in 2 Samuel chapter 9. You can check it out later. David said, is there not anything of Jonathan's because of my covenant with him, that I can show kindness. And there was this son by the name of, yeah, that when David was warring, that when he was a young child, just an infant, his nursemaid or whoever was caring for him grabbed him up and was trying to run to protect him. And when she did, she dropped him. And she, his legs were broken up severely to the point that he couldn't walk. And he grew up like that. 
And you got to keep in mind his fear, his image of David is now the reason I can't live right, the reason I can't walk, the reason I can't be is because of him. Think about that for a moment. Because they're on the run from David. David caused this. But years pass, and David said, Is there not somebody that I can show my covenant, my kindness through that belonged to Jonathan? And they said, There is this young man by the name of whatever. Sorry, can't say it. He said, Bring him to me. Have him come. And David brought him to his palace. David said, set him at my table. Provide the king's meal for him. And while this young man is sitting there, he speaks like this. What have I done that you have shown such pity on a dead dog? Because that's how this young man felt. I'm broken up. I messed up. I am nothing. I have sinned. That's how we would feel. It's really a picture of our fallen nature before God. I have sinned. I'm nothing but a dead dog. And David doesn't answer him. But David gives a command to one of his leaders. He said, restore everything back to that young man. Restore his land. Restore their wealth. Restore their house. Restore his life back to him. And that is a picture, in a sense, of the covenant that God has made. And here's the deal. He really didn't make the covenant with you and I. He made the covenant with the king. And that if you and I will believe on Jesus, you and I enter into that same covenant so that everything is restored back to us that we lost when we fell in our sin away from God. That's why it's important that I know Jesus, that I know Jesus, that he's my prophet. He's my priest and my king. And this is what he said. This is where I'm going to build my church. This is the foundation of my temple that I want you established on. What I've done for you, not what religion says, but what I've done for you. You can hear me, you can talk with me, and you can reign with me. Come on and stand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on and lift your hands and just thank Jesus for what he's done for you. God, I thank you tonight. I thank you tonight, Jesus, for what you've done for me. That you took my sin. You took my iniquity. God, you paid the price for me. Jesus, that you become the one that would die for me. You would be the one that would shed your blood. You became my everything, my all in all. Jesus, I thank you tonight that I can hear the voice of heaven. I thank you tonight that I can come and talk. I can come boldly to the throne of grace. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to fear that way anymore. I can walk and reign victoriously because of you, Jesus. Oh God, I thank you tonight. I thank you tonight, Jesus. I give you praise. In Jesus' name. Come on, give Jesus a shout of praise in this place. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Wow, well, you got something to chew on now so you can walk out of here in victory. Amen. Everybody, I'll see you Sunday morning. God bless. Have a great evening. Remember our 30-day challenge.